Welcome to the Bless the City Church podcast. This morning, Pastor Jeremy Schwader will be sharing on Matthew 18 as our Lord took a child onto his lap and told us that to enter his father's kingdom, we must be like that child. This last several weeks, we've been talking about the condition of the heart. And um, the parable of the sower is one of my most favorite stories in the Bible because it talks about the different soils of our heart. You got the hard the hard heart, the rocky heart, um, you have the heart with weeds, and then you got the good soil. And uh, all of us have been in probably every single one of those spaces where, where maybe your heart is hard and you're resisting God, or maybe there's spaces of rocks that's like offense and unforgiveness in your heart, so it's hard for God's Word to sow up and grow through you. Or, or maybe you're in the space of distractions, and there's grief and stress and all this stuff, and it chokes out the Word of God in your life. Or also, there's those spaces where the weeds are gone, the rocks are gone, your heart's open, and God's Word starts growing. And that's where we want to stay. That's where we want to live. Um, then we've also talked a little bit about not just that place of the heart, but also the treasure of our heart. And then uh, last week, uh, and that's just what, how do you steward the things that God has put into your heart. And then last week we talked about the people that God gives us that are in our heart. How many of you uh, looked at your relationships this last week? Anybody? And um, just thought about who are the mentors, who are the friends, who are the people that you're mentoring in your life. We need all three in our life. Um, but today, I wanted to talk, and this is the, the, voice, the word I felt like I had for today, was from Matthew 18, 1 through 5. And it says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such as a child in my name receives me. The title of the message this morning is, The, Sa the Satisfied Heart is a Childlike Heart. So, Spirit of the Lord, thank you for this morning. Um, God, so honored to get to bring your word today. We just thank you that we didn't come just to hear a guy talk. We came to hear from heaven, came to hear from you. So, God, we just pray everything, God, that you want to share with us today, we would hear. God, we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I pray, I just say right now, let nothing be an operation except your spirit, your work, your ways. We say in the name of Jesus, Lord, let fear go. Let distraction go. Let all things go that do not conform to what you desire. And let our hearts be open. We just say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Um, this passage is actually kind of hilarious if you think about it. Here are the disciples. And in the previous chapter, they had just had, three of them had just had this amazing experience where they went up to this mountain, and Jesus was transfixed in front of them, and they saw him in his glorious form, fully radiant. They got to see Jesus glorified. They come down the mountain, and I'm sure these three thought, you know, we got the inside track. We might just be the top of the crop. We might just be the cream of the crop. We might be the best. And the disciples started having a conversation amongst themselves because they recognized the miracles that Jesus was doing. They recognized that they were his disciples. And it was almost like they were grabbing onto Jesus' coattails and being like, we're going places. And I think 
the disciples really felt like, man, we're going to have, we're going to be ushered into this space of greatness. And they thought probably to themselves, but which one of us is going to be in the top? Which one of us is going to be at the right hand? Which one of us is going to be graduated to numero two? We're going to be, I'm going to be the Jesus's right hand guy. Who is that? And Jesus flips it all on the top of their head. And he basically says, well, you're going the wrong direction. In fact, you're not even going to go to heaven unless you become like a child. So you guys are talking about how great you are, wondering which one of us is going to be the greatness, and saying, Jesus saying, you're actually going the wrong way. You're not even going towards the kingdom of God. You're going away from the kingdom of God. Unless you turn around and become like a child, you are never going, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I was, I had this video I wanted to share this morning, but I couldn't quite make it work. And my daughter um, has gotten to this habit of her favorite word is actually apple juice. And so she will actually walk around. I had a video, but I, it's like a 40-second video I was going to show, but it came out sideways, of her running around our island saying apple juice, apple juice for like 30, 40 seconds, just like love and life. And kids are hilarious, right? Like they're just excited about life. They're they're running towards what's exciting. They're, they're, um, they're not really thinking about themselves. They're just enjoying. And I think the disciples got conditioned, just like each one of us can be conditioned, that our worth can be found in our position, what we have, who we know, how people view us. And the world has set itself up to make it a performance-driven culture, right? A, you got to do these things. You got to be this way. You got to have this stuff. And yet God says in Jeremiah 31, he's like, for I have loved you with an everlasting love. And therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. This is God's heart towards you and me. I have an everlasting love for you. Eyes of a heavenly father that look at us with a smile on his face. And he just says, oh, I love you. I'm for you. And I was, I was thinking about this passage, and I thought, well, what, what made this kid humble? Jesus takes this child and says, Jesus says, unless you become like a child. And he even says, this child. He even says in that passage, become like this child. What did that child do that made them great in the kingdom of heaven? Pretty simple. They came. Jesus called to the child and said, come, and the child came. Jesus is looking for people that when he calls, they come. They trust. They say, okay. And this is the heart of a child. The hearts of a child is unguarded, unjaded, open, ready to receive, believes what you say, is trusting, but you know what happens is we go through life and we meet people that might not be so trustworthy. We, we experience things and it's kind of hurtful, so we're a little more cautious the next time around. And this is the experience that we walk through in life. And so there is this space that the Holy Spirit wants to unteach some things in our heart that we would become like kids again. Trusting, unguarded, knowing we're safe, knowing that our God will provide, know that He's for us. If you got your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 4. So the book of Philippians is written to a beautiful group of people. 
In fact, this is the only pastoral epistle where Paul does not correct the people that are in there. He just has, he's like, you guys are awesome. I love you. You're amazing. Um, he does at one point tell two ladies to get along with each other. But other than that, it's, it's a really encouraging passage. But the people in this passage are exactly in the space where they have this beautiful gift of Christ on the inside. And yet, they live in a world that's hostile towards them. Paul, when he writes this, is writing it from prison. The Philippians, as they receive this letter, are living in a Roman colony where Christianity is not exactly popular. In fact, many of them have been killed or put in prison because of their trust in Christ. They're struggling financially. They're struggling in their life. That's not easy. And the bumps and the bruises that we experience in life have a habit of stealing away our childlikeness, the satisfaction in our heart, the hope in our heart. So Philippians 4, verse 11 says this. Paul's writing to them, and he says this. I have learned in whatever situation I am in, to be content. He's writing that from prison. Here he is in a Roman prison, maybe sitting cross-legged on a floor with his buddy Tychicus writing this, I am content. Interesting. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? He's content. I can go through any struggle. I can go through anything. Why? Because I'm content. Even though I'm in this prison cell, even though things get difficult, or I would even say the flip side, even when things get better and the temptation to be comforted by the things of the world or whatever, even in that space, I've learned that my contentment is in Christ, not in these things. What's the secret? Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The secret to Paul's contentment is he did not allow his culture to dictate to his heart. He dictated to his culture, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. I'm going to rejoice in God. What, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? This is what I, I got when I was, I was doing some research in it. To rejoice in the Lord is to have joy or delight in God. To feel joy when you think of Him. When you think of what He's done. When you think about what He will do. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice. It's a heart posture. It's knowing He will pick me up. It's knowing He will work out all things for my good. It's knowing that He plans and, and He provides. I think of a story of a missionary, and this is a few years ago. She was in Central Africa, and um, their car broke down. And for like, for like half a day, they're stuck, and people were kind of starting to complain in the middle of the group, like, man, I don't know, like, this is really frustrating. We, we're going to miss all of our appointments. Things are not going to be okay. And she was just trusting the Lord. And they found out afterwards that 
because the car was broken down, they missed a militia that was going through and just destroying villages all along the way. They would have gone through right through the path of where those militias were going, and they would probably would have been slaughtered. But because the car was broken down, they were spared. Could it be that the setbacks that you're experiencing or the struggles that you face, could it be that God is guarding and protecting your heart? Could it be that God actually has good things? But if we can stay, keep a heart focused in rejoicing in the Lord, it shifts, I think it shifts the whole thing. Paul is saying this, in conflict with your friend, choose to be cheerful. God is going to work it out. Pray God's blessing over your friend. In concerns about your future, sing a song of praise. In your worries about your family, declare God's promises and God's word. When food prices have gone up 11% since August. Anybody? Man, it's getting a little expensive, isn't it? In those places, smile and pay for somebody's groceries. No, he didn't say that, but. But there's something about knowing. Think about it. Jesus looks at us, each one like a kid, and he says, hey, come. And he looks at us with a loving gaze, and he says, hey, Jeremy, don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Don't you know that I have everything you need? If you knew that all of your needs were met, if you know that God would work out everything for your good and his glory, how then would you live? I was talking to a lawyer yesterday, or two days, or like a week ago, I was helping someone out with a, with a project, and he was telling me how he did a family estate, and he just finished this family estate of this guy who was in his 80s, who his sister passed away and left him $6 million. He's 80. It's just interesting. How would you live if you knew, or if you knew that when you turned 80, you'd be getting $6 million? Now, maybe we make some decisions we shouldn't make. Be careful. Don't get into a bunch of debt. But but isn't that interesting? What would, what would life look like in that space? He, had, he could know and he could trust that, wow, things are going to be okay. Rejoicing in the Lord takes action. It takes movement. I love Psalms 42 verse 10. I love the Psalms because it's so honest. It says this in Psalms 42 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones... My enemies, they taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here's the psalmist, and he's saying, people are coming to him and saying, Look at the world, look at your life, look at what's going on. You're not even physically well. Where is your God? And the psalmist decides this. Culture is saying this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And he says to his soul, now what is your soul? That's your mind, your will, your emotions. Hey soul, why are you so down in the dumps? Get up. Why are you in such turmoil? Come on. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He's my salvation and my God. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself and you got to say, hey, soul, get up. Why are you having a hard time? Come on, hope in God. Let's go, soul. Move on. 
We have to move in His direction. And I think a lot of that direction is choosing to rejoice in God and saying, I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to say I'm stepping into Him. Praise Him. One more passage. First, um, Samuel chapter 30. I love this. This is about King David. King David's not king yet. He's just warrior David. And he's on the run from Saul. And he's actually living with the Philistines. And um, he goes to fight for, for the Philistines. And they say, no, we don't want you. He comes back home with all of the men that are with him. And this is what they find. Now David and his men came home to Ziglag on the third day. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Zidlag. That's where they lived. They had overcome Zidlag and they had burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength. Can you imagine? You, all of the work, all of the space, they've, they have family, they have built homes, they, they had all of this life that they've prepared, and they come back to being all burned to the ground. It's a crisp. And David... And all his men, their strength was gone. They were spent. They had nothing left. They had no hope left. They had no heart left. They had no songs of hallelujah. They were just kind of, boop. Despair sets in. And what's really scary, it says this then in verse 5, David's two wives also had been taken captive. The widow, all his, all his wives, and in verse 6, David was greatly distressed. And then it says, for the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them were all bitterly grieved. And each man for his sons and his daughters. You know, it's interesting that when Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, instead of attacking him, we're tempted to attack each other. It's easy to blame each other for what happens and try to point fingers at each other instead of dealing with the very one who's caused the problem in the first place. And what was interesting, if you look at this space, what it says about the men of David, it says they were bitterly grieved. Another way of saying bitterly grieved, it said that they breathed out bitterness. Like their hearts just breathe. Ever met somebody like that? This bitterness is just oozing out of them. This is where these men were. And from the place of bitterness, there was murder rising up in their hearts. There was this, this angst in their heart. And this is totally what Satan's plan is to each one of us. He would love for us to despair, give up hope, breathe out bitterness. And instead of attacking the enemy, we end up attacking each other and talk about stoning the leader. Right? And I'm not saying anybody's saying they're going to stone me. I'm just, saying, I'm just saying each one of us have to guard our heart in the place of rejoicing. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Alan. But it says this in the next verse. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. The word here is interpreted as this. How did he encourage and strengthen himself? It was like David's looking at the ashes of the city. His family's gone. Everything's destroyed. And the word is like he grasped God. Like he... 
he, he looked in all of the mess and he's like, where is God in this? Where, where is God in these ashes? Where is God in this struggle? I don't, I don't see him, but I'm going to find him because I know he's here. I know God's in the middle of this space. I know God's in the middle of this struggle. He's right here. I don't see him, but I'm going to find him. He fought in his heart. Get this. This is important. He fought in his heart to find the place where God was. Because he knew if he could find where God was, he could hear what God was saying, and then things would turn around. David strengthened himself in the Lord. God, where are you? He's there. He's here. He's working. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Sometimes the worst thing we can do in the middle of the trial is just do something. Maybe the best thing we should do is stop and go, where is God in the middle of this? Maybe the very struggle you're facing, God is using to do something beautiful in your life. It might not be that you're being destroyed, but God is reshaping you into what he has for you. God is in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the ashes. He is right there. What's really cool is this. After David was strengthened in the Lord, he had strength to turn to God and say, God, what are you saying? Folks, this is why our daily pursuit of Jesus is so critical. To turn with the word and worship and your heart on fire for God and say, God, I'm coming to you again today. What do you have to say to me in this day? Where are you right now in this? Verse 7 in, in chapter 30 says this, David said to Abathar the priest, Amalekah's son, I pray you, bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought him the ephod. You know what the ephod was? It's this gold kind of breastplate thing with a bunch of stones on it. And on it were written the names of the tribes of Israel. And then David did this. David inquired of the Lord. Basically what David was doing when he put on the ephod, he was saying, God, I'm bringing the names of the people that are on my heart to you. I'm coming to you for my wife and my kids and all those that we have lost. And I'm saying, God, I'm going to have a conversation with you about them. And David inquired of the Lord, saying this, Shall I go pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered him, Pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Before God could speak, David had to be strengthened. David's heart got strengthened when he turned his attention to God and said, God, where are you in the mix? Where are you in these ashes? Where are you in this struggle? And he found God. And you know what happens in that space when we find him? We get a childlike heart again. We get a soft heart again. And the heavy things of life don't harden us, but we turn to God like a little kid that bumps his hand and says, this hurts, runs to the father or the mother and says, would you take care of this? And this is God's heart for you and I in all that we're walking through, to run to him and say, God, would you take care of this? Would you help me? 
I've said this before. There's this guy named Yonggi Cho. He had the largest church in the whole world. He died two years ago. Something like 800,000 people in his church. And God was, he was talking to God one day, and God said this to him. He says, Cho, do you know why I use you? And he's like, well, no, I, I don't, God. He's like, well, because you're not smart. Well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, smart people don't listen to me. They do their own thing. But, but you're not very smart. You just do what I say. You don't trust your own voice. You trust my voice. When there's ashes or struggle or turmoil or maybe you just don't know what to do, to stop and to find God in the mix and say, God, where are you? Where are you in this space? I want to find you. Hey, Nick, could you pop up? That'd be cool. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. Just going to read it one more time. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives such as one in my name receives me. God wants to make us like kids again. It's time for snack time and recess. It's time that we turn again and allow God to soften our heart. I really believe that God softens our hearts as we turn in rejoicing and thankfulness like Paul did from a prison cell. And he said, rejoice. But it's really hard. Yeah, rejoice. You know, in that chapter 4, it's really interesting. Philippians chapter 4, there's people that aren't getting along. There's people fearful about the future. There's um, Paul who continually in all his apostles, all the, the letters, he keeps talking about how he's lonely, he's alone, but God encourages him. There's relation, There's all sorts of stresses that are happening all throughout that are mentioned in chapter 4. And he starts the whole thing off by saying, rejoice. That is a choice to make in the beginning of the whole process to go, God, I trust that you will come through. If we could just actually all stand up this morning, and I really, I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus wants us each to step in like a kid, like a little kid, but maybe you're like, my heart is not childlike. I'm kind of skeptical. I'm kind of hurting. I'm having a struggle. I think it's time to rejoice, to say to my soul, I will worship you. Like it said in Psalms 42, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? My enemies taunt me all the day long, saying, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. This sermon was preached on September 18, 2022. For more content, you can find this on Facebook or at blessthecitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.